I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. This is Patty Asher in the house with Rabble Radio. We got the wild saw rocking. We got the fun gallery rocking. We got Pink Poodle Productions. Look out. Fuck you, Josh! What's up? This is Rebel Radio. What up, what up? This is DJ Newmark. This is Peanut Butter Wolf. It's your boy. It's okay. Keep checking out Rebel Radio. Rebel Radio. This is Rebel Radio. We're in the place right here. Uh? Rebel Radio is going down. What did you say? Rebel Radio? Oh, wait. Let's do it again. Rebel Radio. Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Rebel Radio. I'm your host, Josh Levine. My guest today, the great Patty Astor, the queen of the downtown screen. She's the star of Wild Style, the seminal early hip-hop graffiti movie. She was the owner of the Fun Gallery, uh, where she worked with so many important New York artists, Jean-Michel Basquiat, Fab Five Freddy, Futura, Zephyr, many, many others. And she comes through with such great stories from the old school to the new school. Um, such an amazing life and career this woman's had. Really excited to share it with you. She's um, probably not what you would call successful by certain standards. She hasn't made a ton of money and uh, retired to her big yacht, but she's absolutely living her mission and such a great lesson for people that just want to do what they want to do and build their lives um, around their own vision. So. She gives us some lessons in never giving up. Um, she tells us her mantra that she got from her mom, which was be nice to people, and how that's played out in her life and career. And then, like I said, just creating and never selling out. She's, uh, she should be in the dictionary under no sellout. Good stuff coming up from Patty Astor after our EDM.com track of the week. Tell me what you wanna 
Yeah. Kind of overlooking all the cruise ships. Up in Malibu, the neighbors know you moving. Hitting switches, yeah, hit it like a drum roll. Unload, I ain't got to spit it, make some music. Make way, make way for the new kids. Class clown, but my let them in is old school. Yes. With them rejects, fuck them other circles. Girls, lunchtime, I ain't worried about the who's who. You, you, you can get it. Every day is Valentine's, I'm confessing. I ain't no Cupid, but you know I'm gonna shoot that love connection. Love connection. I tell you my plans for today. In a few minutes, I lose it, won't get it back, girls. My number just takes when it's late. I don't waste time with the DM on Instagram, get yours. Yo, that was Just Matthew with a track called Leak, our EDM.com track of the week. Shout out to the homies at EDM.com. Go to EDM.com and get some more fresh music. But first, get these lessons from Patty Aspen. Tell me how, you know, you, I mean, you were so influential in, in the art scene and, and music and really where all those worlds combined and I'm curious to know how that happened for you specifically like how'd you even get into music in the first place well I think that the thing that's that I, I feel like that's I feel very lucky and it's kind of interesting about me is I was born in 1950 yeah and so, so um, sorry just go, go back like do you remember the first records that that you even that registered with you that like yes I remember um, well the first okay well the first my dad was a big jazz mm. fan yeah. and back in the 50s I mean so we always had great jazz yeah um, in the background and he actually used to put together those Heathcliff um, tuners and stuff no which way. I think started my fascination with the decks many yeah. <laughs> Sure. Many, many, you know, decades later. So that was just always a really important thing in my house. So and I grew it? up in Cincinnati, Ohio. So, was, you so know, what kind of jazz? What was the jazz record? Oh, that, all the, like, like, you know, the best. Yeah. Uh, you know, Miles, Lesser Young, uh -huh. uh, Charlie Parker. They're yeah. the classic, the classic jazz years. Sure. We actually have, there was a great jazz um, DJ mm. in Cincinnati. Oscar Treadwell. Okay. So we always listened to him. And my dad would like always enter. He used to have, there used to be <laughs> contests for like jazz games, you know, on the uh -huh. radio. Yeah. And you would win fried pies. <laughs> no way. <laughs> That's great. And my dad would always win the uh, fried pies. Oh, and, so cool. Yeah, and uh, you know, and um, there's a, I think it's Charlie Parker, um, and some, uh, there's a song, this is an Oscar for Treadwell. Uh -huh. So that was my first oh, cool. music yeah. things. And then um, so, I remember my first record that I ever bought, my dad bought it for me, and I had the measles, and it was um, the Buddy Holly song. blanking on it it's the, uh, the famous buddy song buddy holly song of the lake yeah and, uh, it was an orange 45. uh-huh it's in the book we'll think of it later okay um so there was that but i mean the other thing too and i say that there's three events and they're actually like um musically related that like really, really changed my life is i was like five years old when elvis was on ed sullivan yeah. you know yeah. and i my brother and i were sitting there in front of the dv we said, 
now we see where our lives are going. Right? Oh, so yeah. you knew at that moment. Oh, yeah. 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 And then, you Isn't know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And then, of course, um, the other one, another one that was also on TV is, um, I don't know, it's like 63, 64 or something in the Rolling Stones mm -hmm. came on. Ed Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Oh, and they played a Buddy Holly song, Not Fade Away, which I think might be, it's, it's, that's not the Buddy Holly thing I got. My life's not that neat. Okay. But I still can't remember the name of the other one, but um, they played Not Fade Away. Yeah. And um, Mick wouldn't shake Ed's hand <laughs> after the performance. Is that like, right? All right. And then I saw the Stones live yeah. in Cincinnati in, I think, 64. It was their, oh, wow. first, their first tour. Oh, my God. And that was another moment when I just said, hey, I, this is no problem. This is where I'm going. I know what my life is going to be all about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so how was that, like, you know, obviously at that time, jazz was kind of the popular music. Uh, at least in the 50s, right? And then before rock and roll came along. Um, and so was there something, you know, obviously when you got to New York and, you know, we'll dig into the story, but like you went way out of the mainstream. Was there, did you know, was there something in Cincinnati that you kind of knew like this mainstream life is not for me? Oh, yeah. Uh <laughs> what was it you think that didn't, didn't fit? Well, um, I mean, I sort of have this very weird, like, dual life, is that I, I have a very serious life. I started um, training in ballet when I was five years old. Mm. And with, just because Cincinnati is a very, is a huge cultural hub, it historically has yeah. been. I mean, the Opera House now, I think, is almost 200 years old. Oh, wow. Um, I happen to train with Miss Virginia Garrett. Okay. Who was prima ballerina in the Sadler's Wells Ballet? Okay. In England, and you don't get higher than that. Just lucked into it, and I was actually part. I was the charter member of the Cincinnati Ballet Company when I was fourteen. Oh wow! However, as I said to my dad, when you went to have up, when you had to go upstairs to have the talk about going to college, uh -huh. I said, Dad. I don't want to go to college. I just want to get stoned and listen to Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> that didn't go over that well. I'll bet that. And then, I, you know, I assume if, if it's music and dance and that, then New York's the place to go. Oh, yeah. I never had any doubt about the fact that um, I was going to New York. Yeah. And did, so at that time, were you thinking that <clears throat> you're – career was going to be uh, as a dancer? Was that the plan? I was, um, I actually um, fell into becoming an actress. Um, I mean, my dad was also a huge film mm. aficionado. And again, you know, he would take us, to, he would take me to see all of the like, um, the real uh, new wave films from mm -hmm. France. I mean, and he had, um, my dad was a psychoanalyst. He was very literary huge influence on me i mean always reading and writing oh and i forgot to say that the answer to that question of like smoking dope and doing acid and listening to jimmy hendrix's answer was he like slammed down his scotch and soda on his desk and like screamed at me god damn it patty you were brought up to be an intellectual and you're gonna be an intellectual and to be an intellectual you have to go to college 
Nice. So he always brought us up with a huge respect for just everything, you know, sure. poetry and the work. So anyway, by 64, 65, on the bulletin board, on the high school, the day I want to hold your hand came out. Mm -hmm. Someone put the 45 up on the, like, you know, student bullet board, bulletin yeah. board where you would check everything. Like, sure. that's how I found out with the acting thing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, that I got cast in my first role, the lead, of course. <laughs> what was the role? Um, it's the My Fair Lady. Okay. But it's the other one. Oh, uh, What's Pygmalion. Yeah, Pygmalion. Uh -huh. And I'm the, I was the Cockney girl. Uh-huh. Going back, okay, so there was a choice that you couldn't make. Were you going to be Stones? Right. Or were you going to be Beatles? Of course, yeah. I was stones all the way. Yeah, me too. Of my dad, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and actually, again, it was my brother who insisted that we get that first Stones album, and that was it. Um, and then I saw them live, like I said. So, forget it. Once you see yeah, Mick running around with that G Union Jack hat <laughs> on his head, I was like there. Plus, we were in. It was the the they, the Rolling Stones played in at the Cincinnati Ice Gardens, which was oh, wow. a stadium like you know two thousand wow. at best. We were in the second row. We just ran up to the front and just stood on these football players. Wow. Um, you know, so you, that was it. You know. Sure. So anyway, by this time, I was like total bad girl in school. Even though I got you know, I was like got all my classes. Mm -hmm. But I got sent home for wearing a lime green mini skirt. I wasn't even a big sister, <laughs> which the honor that they gave, which, you know, where you help out the right. freshmen. Sure. I mean, you, anybody could be a big sister, even if you got pregnant. <laughs> but no. So I had to beef up my credits to get into this future college. Yeah. And so I decided, hey, you know, I better start. You know, I'd been watching all those movies, you know, and I said, I'm going to try out for a play. And then, so I got Pygmalion. Cool. So that was kind of how that started. Do you, so do you remember, I, like, the feeling of being on stage the first time? Well, see, that's not my, that was not my first time of being oh. on stage. Because okay. the, with the ballet teacher that I had, she did, like, these big recitals and right. everything. And then I was in the ballet company. And I love being on stage. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, I can put up, you know, like, being on a film set. That's when all the shit becomes worthwhile. Really? Oh, yeah. Nice. Oh, and my guidance counselor told me even they hated me. <laughs> and I would get up in class and scream and stuff because once you do all your AP classes, first of all, the whole last year, you can, like, blow it off. We used to, like, all, like, cut school and yeah. um, go to White Castle and drink beer and stuff like that. Uh -huh. uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then my guidance counselor tells me the only school she possibly thinks she can get me into is the Colorado State Institute for Women. Okay. Sounds sexy. I was like, okay, yeah. Um, sure. So, but I, so I applied to Barnard Vassar and Sarah Lawrence okay. and got into all of them. And nice. I picked Barnard because it was in New York. Yeah. So Barnard is the women's college that's directly across from Columbia University mm -hmm. up in the Morningside Heights in New York. 
and um, and when I got there, and my dad drove me, it was that was right after it was the fall after the spring of when they had taken over the buildings. Yeah. So the scene was just crazy. Yeah. I mean, when we got there, my dad was like. I want to stay here. <laughs> there was just people like leafleting and yeah. everything. And, you know, I don't think people realize now with the, because they hide the war that's going on right now. Sure. So well, what the Vietnam War was like. Yeah. Um, that you could see those body bags, you know, just lines of coffins being you know, yeah. downloaded and you saw the combat, you know, there was some terrific war reporters working them. You know, it's interesting you say that because, um, you know, we talk about now that there's all this social media and that we have, you know, access to all this information and people can see what's going on around the world. And, you know, in some ways that's like never before, right? Just how much information there is out there. Um, but you know, the Vietnam War was the first time that, you know, America at least got to see the realities of what was happening through TV. Yes, and I would take that back. I mean, the Vietnam was the first war that was on TV. And also something interesting that I actually say in my book is that um, the JFK, yeah. that presidency was one of the was the yeah. first one where you could watch it on TV, right. and then of course the whole assassination. Yeah, everybody watched it on TV for three days. Sure. Hey, check it out! Rebel Radio is brought to you by Wix.com. Do you need a website? No, let me tell you, you do need a website, and you can do it yourself with Wix.com. No matter what business you're in, if you got a startup, your music career, your uh, earwax collection. I don't know what you're doing. Whatever it is, you need a website. And Wix is used by more than 84 million people worldwide. It makes it easy to get your website live today. You can spend time on your business. Don't spend time building your website. There's hundreds of designer made templates to choose from. Use the drag and drop editor. You drop in your images, your videos, your copy. And next thing you know, you have a beautiful website that you built yourself. It's fast, it's easy, it's free. We did it with rebelradio.net. Check it out, and you can see the amazing work you can do with Wix.com. You're too busy with everything else? Stop worrying about your website. Wix.com, it's easy and free. Go to wix.com, create your own website today. Send it to us, and we will promote it online. All right. Yeah, I mean, you could see the, the impact, and again... When I was in New York, um, I let me just start, I'll start the whole SDS history here. Okay. Um, so I got so I got to Barnard, and there's all these leaving things going on, and you know it's very you know we're very aware that's what's going on with Vietnam, and Nixon is running for president, mm -hmm. which I was kind of thinking oh, we're a little bit of a similarity seeing the um, demonstrations against Trump. Yeah. That era of those of the demonstrations that we did against Nixon. So I got very immediately. I mean, I got involved with Columbia SCS, which mm -hmm. had you know Mark Rudd, and uh, that was one of one of the main chapters mm. of SCS. Let me ask you a question: as somebody who's lived through this, right? And so now we see there's demonstrations all over the country, you know, uh, against Trump. 
Does that matter? Does anybody care if people are out demonstrating? Yes, they do. Why? It matters because they, the basic thing is they're trying to take the power away from you. Sure. And our slogan then was, um, vote with your feet, vote in the street. Mm -hmm. And I think these things do make an impact. There's this awful situation going on with the Dakota Pipeline. Yeah. You know, where they're turning, it's almost, you know, twisting the knife that they're not only turning the fire hoses on them mm -hmm. like they did at the people in Birmingham. Yep. But they're turning the fire hoses on it because they know it's freezing and that that's going to freeze this ice on their skin. Yeah. So you never give up. Mm -hmm. Never can give up. Um, I mean, we still do have the right to bear arms in this country, which is unfortunately very much misused. But, sure. yeah. you know, make it count, you yeah. know. These people, something that's really been bugging me lately are all these people are saying like, oh, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, great. That's patriotic. Well, I also think that's the kind of thing. It's like you get mad at your cell phone company and you're going to switch plans, but no one ever does, <laughs> right? Like everyone tells AT&T, I'm, I'm quitting you, right? But they never do. And I think the thing of I'm leaving, like no one leaves. I know. No one leaves. Stand you know? and just, fight. Yeah. Stand and fight is what I'm saying. But yeah. Um, yeah, I think that um, I was glad to, I, I was glad to see the protesters out there. Yeah. You know, I mean, sure. it's it, it, you know, the most important thing is that people care. Mm -hmm. And so I think that they I think, again, like like with the whole um, what was it? The Wall Street occupied all that kind of thing. Yeah. It, good but it was a little bit um like discombobulated right when i feel like this kind of thing is too but I, that people are still doing it i i'm okay with it they need to be safe out there well you know so we're talking about like movements are hard to manage right and i think you know, we can talk about the anti-war stuff or Occupy Wall Street, but if we talk about when you got to New York, it was the birth of punk rock, it was the birth of hip-hop was happening around the same time, right? And those are movements in their own, and, you know, we, they were, they've certainly been longer lasting than some of the political movements, although, you know, maybe just as hard to kind of manage and, and make sense of, right? They get, in some ways, just as kind of off track at times as well. So... Um, but take take us into the the music scene when you got to New York because you got there as a Rolling Stones fan and, and Jimi Hendrix, um, right? You know, very kind of mainstream at the time, or this emerging kind of rock and roll culture, and then you find yourself in New York, and and so how do you get turned on to punk and and that? Well, the punk thing came later. The punk thing came, because um, when we're talking about, when I first got to New York in 1968, it was, you know, very much yeah. kick out the jams. There was sure. this whole, like, you know, I mean, everything was just, everybody was old people that I knew anyway. Yeah. I always travel with the best class of people. <laughs> everybody was just a fucking street fighter doing acid, yeah. um, you know, at the Fillmore East. It was crazy times. Yeah, I bet. 
by about 71, 72, we right. did stop the war in Vietnam. I took a breather and went and traveled um, around, went to San Francisco for a year, put together my dance. It was San Francisco, very heavy, like Grateful Dead situation over there. Yeah. And then... Um, of course. I even worked at Olympic Studios. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was nice. the nighttime receptionist. I had a great drug dealing oh, business cool. in the bottom drawer of my desk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, that was a great time in San Francisco. When, when it was like uh, 74. Oh, okay. The year of 74, yeah. Yeah, my family's still out there. Oh, yeah. Um, so then I like picked up a um, terribly romantic boyfriend and uh -huh. tap dance act partner, still dancing. And... Um, we um, played on the street in yeah. San Francisco during that year, and then we then we went over to Europe, and then that was a disaster. And then in like the beginning of '75, I said, "Okay, this is it. It's time to go back to New York City and become a star." Mm. So I did, mm -hmm. <laughs> and ended up 1975. Eric Mitchell, who's one of my film directors yeah. um, said, okay, we need to move over to the East, this place called the East Village. It's like really dangerous and there's all these drug people <laughs> selling everything over there, but it's really cheap. Great, let's go. <laughs> sure. So we, you know, so we did and a lot of people, and a lot of people said to me, oh, you know, well, goodbye because right. we're never going to see you again because either you're going to get killed or we're not coming over to visit you. Yeah. I go, well, that's fine. Bye. Uh -huh. And so 75. Yeah. East Village, wow. NYC. I mean, CBGB's was the only game in town. Yeah. But, you know, hey, the house bands were blonding and the talking hats. And mm -hmm. Something that people don't realize about CBGBs is that there was, it wasn't just those bands. I mean, there was, yeah, there was television and, you know, Ramones mm -hmm. came a little bit later, actually, um, a little bit later. But there was all those huge, like the marbles, the mumps, mm. um, you know, contortions were starting up. Okay. Um, there was a, a very active like band scene going on there besides sure. the headliners that you hear about. So, yeah. but it was the only place in town. It was just I just I just can picture it like now because the East Village was so burned out then, mm -hmm. and then you know there there were just these little lights. There was like CBGBs, and there would be Gem Spa on your way home. You know, because mm -hmm. um, I have fans. You know that I talk to now. Um, you know, younger people and there. And one of them said something really funny. He goes, so you could go buy your punk rock outfits at a store, right? <laughs> I, uh, no. No. There was maybe 200 people down there for that entire scene. I mean, people don't realize how small those scenes were. Yeah. Like, I remember the first night of the Mud Club. Mm -hmm. It's 25 people sitting around the bar. Yeah. But that's what made it so, you know, such a great opportunity. Right. Because, dude, we ruled shit. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great story I always heard about in um, in England, the, the first show of the Sex Pistols. It was like 30 people. And all of those people turned out to kind of 
be somebody in that scene, right? Yeah. Because yeah, exactly. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. Yeah, and there's this whole big debate about who was first, Sex right. Pistols or Romance. Of course. Romance. I totally associate Sex Pistols with, well, Eric was still around, you know, and mm -hmm. so he gets the Sex Pistols 45, God Save the Queen. Yeah. All right. At this point, people are punk rock wearing, they're like punk rock, like punk rock was not like wearing these stylish like whatevers, okay? These guys were wearing like green, army green plastic garbage bags and putting black tape, you know, crossed on their faces and stuff like that, you yeah. know? And Eric played, started playing, he goes, played God Save the Queen like a hundred times a day. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of always associate that era with the 1977 blackout. Yeah. Now, now we had already made the movies. I mean, The Foreigner, Unmade Beds and The Foreigner reflect that mm -hmm. era. And also Eric's early movie, like Kidnapped, you know. This was like punk rock at its finest. Sure. But never, then the blackout happened. And... So those scenes, like, you know, from a you know from a business perspective and we think of you know these things you know sex pistols influenced the whole world ramones influenced the whole world you know blondie became a huge pop act right you know and hip-hop you know we'll talk about like it's become this global business phenomenon and so i wonder you know like i think it's easy to say well a room with 50 people and 25 people in it is meaningless like right there's no there's no oh, yeah. it was by no means meaningless but that's that's what i want to ask you right like the i i kind of believe like these huge global things have they always start that way right and even if it's a political movement it still starts with a, a handful of people in a room saying we got to do something Right, and if yeah. it's a cultural because, movement. Because you know what, there's something that you cannot recreate and it's commitment. Yeah. It's having the creativity and the original idea and the commitment. Yeah. And it's also, you know, and I think one of the major points that I consider part of my whole like, you know, road is I'm in the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, it's and it's lucky. Mm -hmm. It's also you got to be, you know, you got to be willing to, you got to be out there. Yeah. What is it? What do you think is is the part of your character that kind of leads you to do that? This is going to sound so stupid. <laughs> All right, we'll take stupid. Um, but I was like I said, I was brought up by um really great parents, yeah. you know, and so they were like, everybody is worth something, and this is something that I was thinking about this morning, my mother said to me, she, she always said to me, she said, if you are nice to other people, they will be nice to you. Mm. And I just never, I just always was brought up, I was brought up with a sense of adventure, mm -hmm. you know, that nothing was closed to me, Yeah, and that you have that every person is worthwhile of your time. Yeah. Almost like it's kind of a Southern Belle thing. My mother sure. was from a very tiny, like, um, very tiny town uh -huh. in Kentucky. Oh, yeah. And she got herself out there and became a medical doctor at mm. a time when only 7% of the doctors in the country were women. Wow. 
and she actually was um, had to be put on hold to enter Duke Medical School mm. for a year because they didn't want to take her. Yeah, and she stuck it out. She met my dad there hmm. over a cadaver. Oh wow! So that that sense of adventure, and I want to. There's something you said. Um, uh, you know, I saw something online that says, uh, keep doing the same thing over and over again, and that's how you make money. And you're saying, you know, you never wanted to do that. You always had that need for the next adventure or whatever. What, what do you think that is? I mean, I, 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 I think you're right. I think that is how you, you make money, right, is you find something and you just do it until you get really good at it and you do it, you know, as people catch on to it. Um, why, why not that for you? Because I'm not in this to make money. Mm -hmm. I don't even care about seeing my name in the paper. You know, it's, it's, if you're a real artist, you're just creating, you know, a history, a legacy. Yeah. And I think in a way, you know, the way that I was brought up, like, you know, at age five, you know, I got into professional ballet training and you learn to enact these roles, you know, right. so you always have, you know, and I just always believed in, you know, he being a, you know, a heroine. Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, so what was it then? So, so, you know, you're in New York, you, um, you know, we saw you in Wild Style. Um, I watched it again last night, and it was amazing again. It's a good movie, oh, isn't it? Oh, it's so much fun. It's so just like being transported back to that time. And, you know, I couldn't stop. It's a hard movie to watch now because you're faced with how different that culture has become, right? And, and um, but, you know, what a great time that must have been and to be part of that. And then... And then the fun gallery, and I think you were, you know, incredibly influential in the in the blossoming of graffiti and you know hip hop culture as part of that, um, you know, with all of the artists you worked with. And so, so what was driving you if it wasn't to to make money? You know, now we associate hip hop with money. Like those two things are almost those words are almost interchangeable. Um, why? Well, I mean, to me, it's all about any of the real artists, you know, that, and I've been privileged to know quite a few of them, you know, with John Michel Basquiat and Keith. It's that leap off the cliff. Mm. It's that, you know, you're just going to create this thing and you're not going to care. Working without a net. Yeah. You're just going to do it. And it's, you're driven to do it. It's not a choice. Yeah. For me also, I mean, I was brought up to have a commitment to make things right. Mm. To, uh, you know, that's why I spent two and a half years in the anti-war movement. I was arrested three times, got mm -hmm. the shit beat out of me a couple of times. I was just, it's just the way I am. Yeah. And so... That, and that's what drove people crazy with us, with with the fun gallery, is because my part, both my my partner Bill Stelling, 
and I like we just did not care about money. I just I I will not sell out. Mm -hmm. I just won't. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's another part of my thing is that I will not. I never lie. I have to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a mission to make the world beautiful and a better place. Yeah. And I, I cannot quit. Yeah. I just won't. Well, I definitely think you've, you've done that. Um, when you say, so, you know, what, what would, what does selling out mean to you? What would that mean? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it meant to me. Okay. Um, I, <laughs> now that you mentioned it, <laughs> I'm working on this documentary, which is available on YouTube. Did you see that eight minute thing? Did no. I send it to you? Uh -uh. Oh, it's really cool. And oh, I'm still cool. working with the, that director. We'll talk about that for a bit yeah. just to let your listeners know Please. what's up with that. Um, so I've been working on that for uh, a while. Um, because it's part of, and I can't, I mean, it's called Patty Astor's Fun Gallery. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, with the book, another thing why I won't give up is that almost three quarters of the original Fun Gallery crew are gone. Yeah. Uh, Dondi, Jean-Michel, Keith, A1, mm -hmm. Ram LZ, Arch Conley, Kylie Jenkins. Um, I made a commitment to those guys when they came into Fine Gallery that this is going to be the artist gallery and I'm going to make a, my promise to you that you are always going to be represented the way that you need to be seen. Mm -hmm. And just because they're all gone, doesn't mean that commitment's over. Yeah. And I have to say, one of my primo moments in my entire life <laughs> was I, when I first got the book out, New York Magazine like really supported me. Mm. I didn't let them know that I only had 400 copies in the world. <laughs> kind of let that go into the water. Right. And they really supported me and they um, did a great, great interview with this woman that I'd worked with before um, on Vulture.com. And it's a big long interview, uh, you know, and it's, it's interesting. It's still up there. I took her on a tour of the East Village you know, what was left of the Fun Gallery stomping grounds. But within the interview, I talk about Bruno Bishopberger, mm. who was one of the biggest art collectors in the world and came in the Fun Gallery like the second month we were open for Fab Five shows. Mm -hmm. It's another story. I remember Jamie Shaw talking about his experience when he went over to see Bruno it was not good. He was crying. And now Bruno Bishopberger is on these documentaries saying I was John Michel's best friend. Mm -hmm. So I pull off a quote in Vulture.com where I say, and Bruno Bishopberger was a fucking prick for the way he treated John Michel. And they kept it in. Of course. On print. So that was yeah. good. 
Okay, recently my big sellout thing was, however, um, these people from the UK that were like marginally associated with Banksy, which well, I won't talk about him. Um, and um, I had a feeling you were going to say that. Good. Um, it's not worth the mention. He has the wild style cow, though. Wild style cow is okay. Anyway, he's, he's had his moments. Um, anyway, um, so, but these guys are somewhere, blah, blah, blah. So they contact me, and they're like, we want to produce your documentary and this whole thing with you. So they, they flew me over. Brighton's beautiful. They're based in Brighton. Mm. That was fun. It, every step of the way with this whole thing, I said, you understand, with this project, I retain creative control. Oh, yeah, okay. Lawyer's meeting. I retain creative control. Oh, yeah, okay. Lawyer sends me this, like, weird thing, which, thank God he did. Um, it turned out not to be valid. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and I write him back. I say, I don't see the phrase that I retain creative control in this thing. I'm not going to sign it until I do. Sends it back. Okay, fine. They go nuts. They like completely decide that they, first of all, they're using me to get to my contacts, mm -hmm. Kenny Scharf and um, for one, the bit, that was their biggest, mm -hmm. that was their biggest fish in the water that they saw, but for Shepherd Ferry sure. and all my connections to those people, you know, they wanted to use that. I'm fine, you know, great. I need a thousand dollars a month just to like live. They said fine. They started sending it to me. That was great. They flew me a couple of places. Um, when Snake Woman, my 1978 Jungle Romance movie, showed hmm. at the Museum of Modern Art, I made them send me there, which started a, restarted my relationship with the Museum of Modern Art. Now okay. they have four four of my four of my movies. Nice. are in their permanent collection. Then they came to LA. I said, I want my original director. They're like, no. And then they just assembled this whole thing, flew to LA, had a completely disastrous photo shoot, and I had a meeting, and then the, uh, it was insane. And I just told the guy, I said, this is not how you make movies, and this is not how I'm going to make the fun gallery movie, we are not having Shepard Fairey in the movie instead of Ram LZ. <laughs> Bottom line, okay? So either you get to this point where I get back with my original director or I'm walking. Mm. And they totally ignored what I was saying, so I walked. Yeah. So I gave up that money. That's no sellout. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, I love it. So, and then what happened is, so I was just like, well, fuck these people. I'm sick of everybody just trying to use me for my connections and being full of shit. And now with all this, because when you see the eight minute thing on yeah. YouTube, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. So I'm just like, I'm sticking with my original director. I'm going up on Facebook. I'm saying it's, this is going to be Pink Poodle Productions 2016 startup. I said all these things that I was going to do. I've accomplished most of them. 
And the day that I did that, my director called. He said, you know what, Patty? I'm ready to get back into it. We can just do this by ourselves. Oh, wow. And, the, and so now it's in production. Nice. Y'all, if you're enjoying this episode, my man, Paul Stewart, the homeboy, is the one that connected me to Patty. I have a great interview with Paul back in the Rebel Radio archives. Check us out on iTunes or SoundCloud. Look for the Paul Stewart episode. It's a good one. Me and Paul go way back. We got some personal stories together that we dig into. And he's got some great lessons on just surviving in the music business, this crazy ass business that he's in. Uh, but first, let's hear the rest from Patty Astor. Okay, take me back to Wild Style. Were, were, you, um, were you kind of into that scene? Were you aware of graffiti and hip-hop already? Okay. I always say the fun gallery started the day I met. Fab Five <laughs> Freddy. Yeah, I love Fab. Okay. Fab knew that something was up and came down to the East Village because he had pointed himself as hip hop's ambassador to the world. And let's face it, he's done a terrific job at that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and so Underground USA, my it's the punk rock Sunset Boulevard, probably my greatest role. Hmm was running for six months as the midnight movie at the St. Martin Cinema. Oh, cool. So, and that's the punk rock Sunset Boulevard. Mm -hmm. And Fab brought Futura and a couple other homies down to see it to check out like what was going on down in the East Village. Yeah. And so, and then almost I think the next afternoon, he came to a very eclectic loft party by um, Duncan Smith, mm. poet, philosopher, celebrating the 200th birthday of the poet Stephen Mallarmé. Vodka and cucumber sandwiches uh -huh. go together very well. I'm there, I have like a major, hangover from last night's mud club <laughs> blowout but fab is there too and let me tell you something you know this is very important here because there are not black people on the downtown scene right white walls white wine white people my brother yeah and so Fab's there, and like he's got the pork by hat and the shades and mm -hmm. the you know everything I'm like dang and he comes up to me and has a little paper cake plate. And he says, Patty, I saw you in Underground USA last night. You are my favorite movie actress. Can nice. I have your autograph? <laughs> I said, of course. You must be my new best friend. So that is how Fab and I met. Nice. And that led to the beginning of the fine gallery, and that led to a lot of things. Yeah. I bet. You know, it's interesting thinking about the, the two of you and your relationship. Like, you know, like, Fat Five Freddy never was shy about making money. 
and you know, I think he did it like he was obviously a real. Um, also, you know, he's also very real. His con contribution, his connection to the culture, right? But he was also, like, I don't think he ever pretended like it wasn't also about money for him. Um, and and I wonder, you know, I believe that any culture needs needs both, needs people that want to kind of protect it and keep it true for what it is, and also people that that see it as a business. I mean, Fred saved a generation yeah. by giving these people access. Exactly. I mean, that's what it was all about. I mean, the fun gallery and all of those, all of that was like to see these guys, you know, that you, if you got the skills, you can pay the bills. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, Fred was, you know, that was great. I mean, Keith was great about that. There's nothing wrong with, you know, there's nothing wrong with selling. Sure. There's a lot wrong when you're like, you know, licking the corporate bid to sell out. Yeah. That's the difference, you yeah. know? I mean, I think that um, the like key, one of the key points of hip hop is these were people that were said they were shut out of the system. Mm -hmm. You know, your choices are um, get killed, get um, incarcerated, or get killed by somebody else. Mm -hmm. You know, or you know, or kill yourself with drugs. Right. I mean, there's that was a very important part of it. Mm -hmm. You know that. Everyone, you know, that's the ultimate thing. I mean, just like, but it so hooks up with like what I learned from my mom is if you are nice to people, they will be nice to you. Everyone has something to offer. Yeah. Well, think about that today. And I know, um, you know, I saw a quote from you that, that there is no street culture anymore. Um, I think, I don't, let me say it the right way. Oh, there is no street culture anymore. People, people doing things just to do them, right? That everything's kind of a business. And I think to your point, like when, when hip hop started and certainly punk rock, um, we, that w it was shut out of the system, right? And it was people who were specifically being denied a voice, right? Making that voice so loud that it couldn't be denied anymore. And I think that Part of what's changed is that the system no longer shuts those things out. The system actually looks for those things to use them to sell products, right? And, and you know, I think that's a, a new thing. I think when you were a kid and, and even I think when I was a kid, um, you know, advertising wasn't as much about cultural appropriation. It wasn't like... You know, I don't, I don't remember seeing, you know, the Beatles in an ad, you know, when I was growing up, the way that kids are seeing Drake on an ad today don't or whatever. Don't talk to me about Drake. Just don't talk to me about Drake. <laughs> uh, but, you know, look, Drake's easy to pick on. But, but you know, Sprite with KRS-One, you know, I, or with 
most deaf or... You've seen the Sprite well, saw commercials, right? Yeah. 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 So, like, Sprite's a good example of, like, to me, like, they do it in a really cool way. Yeah, definitely. But it's still... It's, like, they just do it in a yeah, cool way. Yeah, like that fucked up thing was about the freaking Sprite commercials? This is down and dirty, bro. The Sprite commercials were brilliant. Yeah? Yeah, I mean, I loved it. Because, and I'll tell you something else about Charlie Ahern, mm -hmm. the director of Wild Style, is he is one, the only director that I have worked with that has sends, has a contract with me and sends me money every year. Wow. From the profits. Wow. So much respect for that. Yeah. Okay. The Sprite commercials we like. Oh my God, the Sprite commercials. We've made it. Yeah. Motherfucking Tracy 168 had a huge hissy fit. Oh yeah. That he invented Wild Style and had the copyright on Wild Style and sued Sprite. You're kidding. For the use of the whole Wild Style thing. Wow. Okay. And that is the reason why Tracy 68 was not in the fun gallery old school room at art in the streets and this is the first time I've gone public with this mm. I mean it's they've been, been he's been like it's been battled on Facebook but okay yeah. so all right when someone likes when someone makes a suit like that against Sprite they're just gonna go fuck it we're gonna settle yeah. And take pull the thing off the air. Every single penny of people like Grandmaster Cass, Busy Bee, Whipper Whip, Cowie Cav. You know, I could go on, mm -hmm. and myself took away our profits, and sure. we never got any of them. We were the ones that were out there and did that. So there's a little corporate, like, sure. thing right there, you yeah. know? So that's what happened with the Sprite thing. I mean, now the whole advertising thing is, like, ridiculous. But I, I think we can stop that because I just gave you an incredible nugget. So <laughs> no got kidding. anything to say on that one, no brother? Kidding. Well, I, you know, I wonder, like, how... how how it changes, right? Because again, I think that, you know, it's not just hip hop, but I think hip hop's kind of set the tone for the rest of the world in a lot of ways that like, there was this art being created for its own sake. Yeah, go on. Or, you know, or like, like you said, be, because the system was shutting them out and they didn't have a voice, right? So it was people finding yeah, I have a, voice. okay, that's why I was like, yeah. I have a very germane story to that is okay. when I had the fan gallery and just like Dante Ross, you know, said to me like, oh, I was a kid, this is, okay. You're asking me like, why do I do this? Yes. It's like, because now that I've gotten on Facebook and everything, you know, um, 
I mean, I got written to by many, many, uh, you know, people from yeah. around the world. You changed my life. Yeah. Or you saved my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I have people coming up to me at openings and they're crying. I had a really great meeting with DJ Quick at the um, Hip Hop Grammy show. Bambada mm -hmm. played, it was cool. Mm -hmm. um, and he was like, you know, and he was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's like, oh my God, you're so hot. Okay. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, no. No, I mean, you know, I mean, I just met with DMC. Yeah. Down at that Comic Con, and he was just like, Cold Crush Brothers were our total influence. Yeah. Because he was down there um, with that um, boombox guy. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, he's yeah. the one that took me down there. DMC had a booth. Nice. So he took me around, and he, Miles was cool enough to, like, buy a book of mine. Yeah. So DMC and I exchanged books, and then I have the, um, Rock, I, in the book, I have the um, first first night of the Roxy mm -hmm. flyer in there, which Run DMC wasn't playing that night, but that's where I first saw Run DMC was at the Roxy. Mm -hmm. And so you know we're going around, and he's like, as soon as it, it takes a little while for these guys to like put Virginia, you know, me in the wild style thing, you know, yeah. and then me now, like they have to kind of figure out who I am, but he did. And he was like, you know, he was really cool about it. He was just like, you know, oh my God, Cold Crush Brothers. Yeah. That was our total influence. Yeah. You know, and again, see, this is what keeps me going. So how talk about, so, I mean, I get like how that's had an impact over the years. How did it change the game for you at the time? Well, so is like, you know, this is the thing. I mean, you know, like I said, you know, you got to be in it to win it. Yeah. You know, um, I fought for that part too. Mm. Motherfucking Charlie and Fred. Because they, okay, now it comes out that like, now that Charlie's interviewing, because I've heard like from Dublin DJ Lazy, because he had Charlie on and Charlie spilled the beans on this. They all, of course always wanted Blondie for that part. Yeah. But Blondie was touring and she couldn't do it. But at the same time, see, this was very much like right in the middle of the whole fun gallery thing. I mean, the whole fun gallery thing, everyone was a clubhouse. Mm -hmm. I mean, everyone was there every day. Yeah. I mean, Donnie, Zephyr, Keith, Kenny, mm -hmm. Fab, PDP, mm -hmm. MPB. You know, you name it, uh, you know, A1, Real Z, like, you know, is the Wiz, mm -hmm. you know, every freaking, they were just there, yeah. you know, every day. And, um, okay, so I hear that they're making this money. And I say, and they need a girl reporter. I mean, Fred was already calling me Lois Lane. <laughs> Hello. Is that right? And Patty Duke. Uh-huh. But no, Fred's the one that gave me the Patty A. Uh-huh. Too. Even as my sister even has little A. Is that right? No, Fred, I mean, no. That was a thing, though. I mean, there's, I can't, 
I can't say how important the meeting between me and Fred was. Mm. I mean, the king of uptown mm -hmm. met the queen of downtown. Mm -hmm. And Fred said I was down by law. And it all went from there. Because that's the thing with the fun gallery. The reason that I could get all these white people to come to these parties with black and Latin people is because I was already a celebutant. Yeah. I was a star already. I'd done like 12 movies. Yeah. So I, you know, so this, you know, it's like, this is like the hotbed like every day. Yeah. And I hear they're doing this movie. And I'm like, uh, hello, you need a female reporter. And Charlie says to me, because they were still trying to get Debbie. Mm. Oh, but we need someone more mousy. <laughs> and I just said, though, I said, like, fuck that, I'm getting a spark. So, right after that whole exchange where he's like, oh, we're looking for someone more mousy with brown hair and glasses. What a bullshit story that was. Which wasn't, okay. which wasn't going to be Debbie Harry. I know, right? I bet. See, I didn't, I'm so stupid, you know. I didn't even know that, you know. I That's thought, right. like, well, you know what? I just thought this is my part. I don't give a shit. Yeah. Okay? So, anyway. All right. So, this is what happened. Okay. So, right after that happens, there is, and this is all in 81. Dude, the year of 81 was, like, so insane. 81, 82, like, it seems like. You know how they do those like weird things where they put like a million years of stuff into a one minute uh -huh. like thing? Oh, that's yeah. how that was. Okay. All right. So I hear that there's, and you, you have to realize this is not like no one and no one downtown had even heard of hip hop, right. break dancing, rap music anything at this time yeah you know and that's like it's so weird that it's so like you know saturated now but down there mm -hmm. was nothing man mm -hmm. okay so so i hear that there's gonna be um the sugar hill second reunion okay up at the armory in harlem mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Big concert. Yeah. All right. So I'm like, we're going. <laughs> I take my crew, which consists of Bill Selling, my gay Asian fun gallery partner, New York City Yoko, who's like four foot tall, Japanese punk rock chick, Renee Ricard, Warhol star and like mm. insane person, and Edit Diak. Total like amazing art world credit person on the subway mm. up to the Harlem Armory. I am perfectly attired in a silver lame top and white satin pants. I am the only white girl there. Mm -hmm. We got there. I see like okay, so we're there. Okay, right. Woo. Um Things are just kind of still like going started, okay. And I see, and I run into Charlie Ahern, director of Wellsell. I go, yeah, Charlie, I'm up here for the gym. 
Yes, that's great, Patty. Shots ring out. <laughs> oh, man. Someone shoots off a gun in there. And so he starts running. And so my gallery partner, Bill, like grabs my arm and says, Patty, we have to get out of here right now. I'm like, really? It's just getting started. <laughs> so we all run for the exits, and Charlie's with us at the subway stop. Yeah. And we all go downtown to a barn. Charlie tells me I have the part. Nice. That's awesome. That's so cool. Man, I can't. I mean, I, I can only imagine what that, what, what that time was like. I'll tell you something that I really like about Wausau, which is the same thing that was like, um, you know, kind of I was enacting in life, was because the fun gallery was, it was an artist gallery, you know? Mm -hmm. and, because we were so sick about Soho things and blah, blah, and, you know, they were, you know, treating even the people that had managed to get there, you know, very badly, and they were all like a bunch of crooks. Mm -hmm. um, so the fun gallery was artist gallery, so the artists could do whatever they wanted to. And, you know, so things were like pretty open at that point, and there was something very nice that I had with, Dondi and A1 and even David Skulkin from the Beastie Boys. Mm. Um, I was ready to be educated. You know, the thing that I like about Walsall is that in most Hollywood movies, you know, where there's a black culture and then the white person comes in, you know, the white person comes in and tells everybody what to do, and then the whole thing is <laughs> safe, so then they can go back to their same shitty jobs. Right. And while like everyone's like really mean to me. Yeah. You know, I'm like constantly like running to catch up and everything. And I'm at the greatest scene is the one um, with Zephyr and me in the yard. Uh huh. Um, and he's like, uh, you know, Virginia, what are you doing here? Uh huh. You know, fuck you, fuck your magazine, I'm leaving the yard. Yep. You know, I love that scene, yeah. which it was raining that whole time, by the way. <laughs> That's why you were all so crabby, but it made the scene. Um, you know that, like, Dondi, you know, would come down and, like, tell me how he wanted mm -hmm. to be presented. Yeah. And what his, you know, goals and stuff were. Yeah. And those are some of, money can't buy that. You know, it's funny, the, you know, there's a scene in the movie where um, the guys come to rob you and they, they pull out a shotgun, you know, and then Freddie kind of saves the day. Um, and I, you know, I have a friend who's, one of the guys that started Source Magazine, and he always says to me that, uh, he always says hip-hop got ruined when you didn't have to worry about getting robbed at shows anymore. <laughs> and, 
And, you know, I think there's something to that. I mean, no one loves being robbed, of course. But, you know, I've seen you online very critical of gentrification. You know, your New York, my San Francisco are things of the past. They're not, they don't exist anymore. They've been paved over with uh, Starbucks and now, you know, high-end boutiques or whatever, right? Uh, Lower East Side is, it's a outdoor shopping mall, right? And, um, and, you know, I wonder, like, you know, again, back to this idea that there isn't street culture anymore, right? And part of that, I mean, I even... Talking with Dante, he, you know, has told me stories about kind of getting started because he was one of the few people that wasn't afraid to go into certain neighborhoods where the record executives were afraid to go, right? And that created opportunity for him. And so um, do you think that element of danger is important? Is it necessary for like these underground cultures to thrive? I do, you know, of course, you know, I do, because, um, and I love that scene of the holdup, by the way, because that shotgun was loaded. (laughs) Um, I mean, see, that's, no, I mean, that's, again, that's what I live for. Yeah. I live for the danger. Yeah. And, you know, I think that, you know, The you know the 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 guys that are gonna last you know they they you just live for the danger you live for taking the chance the risk it's like dude you you gotta rock up right <laughs> for sure I mean we've had a lot of graffiti mostly the L A guys on this show and like you know that's certainly part of you know stealing paint is part of the job right. Yeah, it's also that, but I mean, I think it's also is, you know, it just goes to being like, I mean, being considered a great artist, you know, it's, you took the chance. Mm -hmm. You like, just didn't care whatever stood in your way. You just made it happen. Yeah. But it's, it, like I said, it's just the, it's the like, it's the jumping off the cliff. It's an addiction. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, it feels like, you know, where we're at today in society is like, we want everything to be easy and clean and safe. And, you know, it's hard, I mean, on the one hand, it's hard to argue with those values, right? On the other hand, I sometimes question whether greatness and and great artistic achievements specifically can happen when everything's clean and easy and safe well um, they can't you know obviously it can't i actually have a sort of an interesting metaphor and it became like because actually madonna came Mm. up and i have a great story about madonna in the book which she was jean michel's girlfriend for a very brief time Uh thank god (laughs) Um, but it was sort of around that era, actually, when she came up and I have a line that I kind of use with, you know, referring to her for sure. She wasn't too bad when she started out. I mean, you know, she was like freaking hustler. Oh my God. But 
you know, I mean, so up through the Desperately Seeking Susan era, the Like a Virgin thing, she was yeah. like, it was fun, just okay. Absolutely. Um, but there was like that, I actually almost blame her, take her as the time marker of the shift because with Madonna, the meter is always running. Mm. It's like with their creative things, you just start seeing with artists. Yeah. They want to make money. Sure. And that's not good. We had a thing in the fan gallery. It was really weird um, where, unbelievably, we sort of started to make some money. And there was this thing back then, you know, now it's all online and everything, but like, People would bring in slides mm -hmm. to show you their artwork. And as soon as we started making any kind of a name for ourselves, all these like people would come in and say that, you know, I want to show your slides and start talking about their artwork and how it could be commercially viable. Okay, I would be <laughs> like, okay. You're in the wrong place. Yeah. Uh, fine gallery, that's not how we work. That's, mm -hmm. just not how, that's just not what's going on here, okay? And I actually established almost immediately a policy at the fun gallery. Fun gallery does not look at slides. Mm. You go out, you show me something. Mm -hmm. If it's good enough. Maybe Fun Gallery will look at it. That's cool. But this whole thing, I'm like, no, I know. It's just like, and it's been, and, and actually now it's this whole, like, I mean, with Madonna, I seriously think, like, wasn't that around when celebrity, culture, money, blah, 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 you know, Absolutely. thing just, like, went south? Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's like, you can see it in their eyes. They don't care. Yeah. The meter's running. They're thinking about what they're doing they're not creating yeah i i get it so so what's a um you say madonna was a hustler give me what's a what's a hustle what's a madonna hustle she just would do anything okay this is a good this is um like the the very first year, I think that they started that. There's some big DJ convention that's uh -huh. been going on forever. Yeah, DMC. No, not that. It's like the um, it's more of a trade show. Maybe oh. it it was probably maybe might be the pre runner of DMC. I'm not really okay. up in that, but you know it started and now it's like it's a really big thing. Okay, could and have been was, Winter Music Conference. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that was like whole, like, you know, it wasn't, um, it was the producer for the Beastie Boys and all those guys. Um, uh, not Rick Rubin. Yeah, Rick Rubin. Okay. Oh, yeah, that was kind of, you know, that, that was kind of like a junior Boy Scout troop. Like, you know, that, no, the, a lot yeah. of that stuff, like, kind of happened around that first convention and this sure. and that, okay? All right. And so, um, Never forget, I wasn't there, but as soon as she said it, because again, we're still talking very small community here. Yeah. Even when Madonna came up, still very small community, you know? Um, 
Grace Jones was on a panel for that. Yeah. And Grace Jones said, you know, this girl Madonna is really giving the industry a bad name. She is acting like a prostitute. <laughs> if Grace Jones is going to diss you for being a whore, dude, you better check your shit. <laughs> So she was there. She was just like. Yeah, I don't tend to think of Grace Jones as a prude. No. But Grace Jones is a great artist. Absolutely. You know, eons above Madge. <laughs> well, hey, did, were there mentors? I mean, you talked about your parents' influence on you. Obviously, Fred had a big influence on you. Was there any way that you considered a mentor that you, you yes. went to along um, the way? Yes. Um, when I went back to New York for this whole like Museum of Modern Art and my youth thing, and there's like this whole thing that's coming out with the warm and fuzzy East Village, that there are some people that are being momentarily since you know me now, forgotten Renee Ricard. Mm. And Renee Ricard was a Warhol star. Because that was an interesting transition as well, you know, from the Warhol era to like our era. Yeah. Because when we first got there, we were little kids, you know, 25 years old. We were running around, you know, oh, can we, let's see if we can see Andy. You know, sure. or any of the Warhol stars, because that was the experimental movies before us. Right. And um, Renee Ricard was um, at, at 16 um, in the Warhol film. Yeah. And he actually transitioned and was probably one of the most influential writers. He wrote for Art Forum. I mean, he made John Michel, he made Keith, he just, and he made the fun gallery because he featured us in his articles, um, and he was always there. So mm. I, I just have to give big props to Renee, who saw that was something happening, because people ask me, like, oh, you know, did you know you were making history? I like, dude, I don't want to just make it through the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> That, that's great. Um, I have a like a kind of a lightning round I want to do real quickly. Okay. Um, well, okay. Before we get to, I have one last question before we get to that. So you know, things have gone really well. Things have been really challenging at different times, right? Um, was there any time when you when you doubted the mission, when you questioned the whole thing? Every day. Yeah. Okay. No, never. There's, you know, I'm I'm going through really tough times now, you yeah. know, because I did walk away from that UK money. Sure. But just no way. Patty A never gives up. That's cool. So okay, um, if if you can go back and give one piece of advice to your 18 year old self. What would you say? Um, you did the right thing. Mm. 
Not many people can say that. that. That's pretty amazing. What is something that you used to believe and then later decided you'd been wrong? The only thing I can say is that, you know, I, t I trust people too much, mm. but I don't think that's a wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's, I'll take, the, I'll take the losses and keep my integrity. You know, that's so interesting because I think, like, so many people are afraid of losing something. More than, you know, more than being greedy or just wanting to, to win, I think people are afraid of losing. I hear all the time, creative people, that they're so afraid of being taken advantage of that they'll use that as a way to hold themselves back. Uh, you know, it's... It's been very weird because it's now I'm becoming like more famous or whatever. Yeah. I'm starting to realize there's two things and they're both kind of serious. One is that I really have very few people to trust because I'm starting to realize that everyone wants a piece of me. Sure. They want, you know, on the train. And two, it's hurtful, but it's also like I'm one tough cookie at this point. You know, I fought hard to get where I am. Mm. So don't try to come in and fuck with me. I have the Keith Herring Foundation after me right now. Is that right? Yeah. You know, and so you don't think I'm going to stand my ground. You're wrong. Hmm. What talent do you always, do you wish you had more of? I live my life to achieve every talent hmm. that I feel that I, is available to me to achieve. Cool. Um, so what's a goal you still want to accomplish? Get this whole thing going. <laughs> I am looking at world domination here, brother. Yeah? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so what, what is the goal with Pink Poodle Productions? What's, like, what, what are you trying to do? I want to, you know, spread the message that everyone has a chance. Mm. Just like Grandmaster Kaz says in the South Bronx rap, everybody got something to offer in this world. And secondly, you know, I feel creatively that I have a, a beautiful vision. Mm. So what's the last great book you read? See, um, so I read a lot. Mm. I was going to say a book that I have read. I know, I know. I'm going to say a book that I've read. Then I'm going to say a book that's going to freak everybody out. <laughs> okay. I read it like 40 years ago. Oh, wow. 
Eldridge Cleaver, Soul on Ice. Nice. Yeah. What, what, um, what, you know, I know you've just written a memoir. What, uh, is there, is there some other memoir that's had a big impact on you? I read quite a few memoirs. Yeah. The, um, because also just to mention about, you know, my memoirs, I did, it's not an art book at all. It's like the, you know, the story of my life, mm -hmm. you know, of all the things that brought me to the path that I'm on. Um, you know, it's just a really cool little book. It's, um, it's Ernest Hemingway's, almost one of his first group, first books. It's his little, it's his life in Paris, a movable feast. Cool. And so I know you have, um, as an actress, obviously you have a, a deep knowledge of film. What movie do you think you've seen the most in your life? <laughs> well, it's got to be. Wild style. Yeah. I would imagine so. <laughs> I'm laughing because Wild Style has added like an incredible, sure. you know, card to my creative life. And so I've seen Wild Style like about 40 times, but what's really great about it is, and I've heard from fans like all over the world. At first I, I heard from like DJ Newmark from mm. Jurassic 5 like yeah, he's a long been on the show. time ago. He, and he said to me like, oh, I've seen the movie like 30 times. I was like, yeah, I've seen it 30 times. But once I got online with my UK homeboys like later, yeah. they're going like 30 times? That's nothing, man. I've seen it at least 100 times. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, I, this is the juicy thing that I laughed out. And we didn't hear the shot. Yeah. I mean, the Wild Soul thing has been incredible. And you know who comes through for me? Because once I got on Facebook, that's how I marketed my sure. book. And, of course. And I'm, that's my biggest, like, outreach right now is Facebook. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how many fans I had out there. Nice. And many, many people... Yeah. wrote me to say that you changed my life. There were other fans who wrote me that, Patty, you were my first love. You were my first wet dream. Oh, my God. And I was, like, a little taken aback at first. <laughs> but it is so touching and respectful that I love it. Yeah. You know, I mean, hey, I'm a movie actress. Gotta I take went it. out there. Yeah. And it's just, that's just been like, just really gratifying. So, so Wasp's also one that I've seen the most. Okay. The what two about... movies that have influenced me the most are yeah. probably, um, well, Gone with the Wind, uh -huh. <laughs> Wizard of Oz. Okay. And I have to just throw in Rebel Without a Cause mm. because I am a rebel with a cause. What about music? Are you still, um, have your music taste changed? You still listen to punk rock and old school hip hop or? I'm actually like really privileged through the hip hop community, yeah. particularly UK. Yeah. They started buying the book right away. That's cool. 
And they have a very, you know, uh, they've got a great scene going on over there, which is nothing like what we have here. They have, like, independent record labels. They have yeah. tons of radio shows. Yeah. You know, and they have just supported me from day one. So. Do you have a favorite DJ? Well, of all time. Uh-huh. Grand Wizard Theodore. Nice. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate your openness and your generosity with all your stories. Such great, um, just being a fly on the wall to your life for one hour has been amazing. And, um, you know, let, let's, let us know what we can do to support. We'll promote the book and the documentary and, you know, everything we can do. Love right. It. No, it's super fun. I mean, like I said, you know, I don't do these interviews unless I know that people know what they're doing. <laughs> well, I, I pretend I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Yo, that was the one and only Patty Astor. There's nobody like her. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Leave us a comment. Go to Twitter at Rebel Radio Net. Hit us on Facebook. Uh, make sure you check out our new YouTube page for videos from all of our episodes. We're adding them as we go, so there's more and more content up there you can check out. And most importantly, come back next week for more Rebel Radio.